0: If you would turn uh, in your Bibles to page 1202 to the book of Hebrews and chapter 3 and I'll say another quick prayer. Father, we thank you that you are indeed a God who uh, is alive and you speak and you speak through the pages of your written word the Bible. Help us and give us all clarity of mind to be able to hear you speaking through your spirit. And may we leave here not only having heard you, but with something else to do and put into practice. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. wonder if you can recognize this bloke. You know who that is? That was me. 25 years ago, that is, 1985, I was in India. I was doing six months community development work. And the guy beside me is Ruby Chowdhury. And I've often wondered how he's got on. And this week he contacted me. He put my name in Google. Would you believe it? And there it is. It's amazing. And I'm glad to be in contact with him to see how he's gone on. He's now in West Bengal. Working amongst the impoverished people there, particularly among the, uh, the unreached people. And I'm so glad and thankful to God that, that He's gone on in His faith after our outreach and He has not fallen away as I know that some people have. And so how can we as 21st century Christians keep from falling away? And I would Call it the cope strategy. There's consider, persevere, and encourage. So let's read from Hebrews chapter 3. Reading from verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess, He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. And the first thing we are to do is to consider Jesus, or as the NIV here puts it, Fix our thoughts upon him. Now, remember that these are Hebrew believers. That's who the writer is writing to. And I guess we would call them Messianic Jews today in some circles. They believed that Jesus was their Messiah, their Savior and their Lord. They're obviously coming under pressure from uh, the other Jewish people and the Jewish leaders To renounce this Jesus is a fake and come back into the fold. They would have been told how great Moses is. What a superhero. And in the previous chapter, we read how uh, Jesus is greater than the angels because Jesus is God, but was made a little lower than the angels when he became man. So, Moses was a pretty cool character, And in this chapter, we read a comparison between Jesus and Moses. Sorry to inform you, that's not Charlton Heston, who many people uh, like to think is Moses, but he's close, but no cigar. And Moses, to the Jews, they said, was a superhero. Moses was revered because it was to him that, that God had revealed his will. Moses was a key figure in the establishment of Israel as a nation. God's chosen people. Moses suffered persecution and rejection from the rest of the family of Israel. He had great zeal for God and was willing to sacrifice everything for God. He had fellowship with God. And yet all this is merely a shadow and a prophetic sign of what was to come in Jesus, this Messiah. And Moses, we read in Numbers chapter 12, was faithful to God's house, God's people. And the house of God is the people of God. It was this Moses who was held in such high regard by the Jews that some might well have been tempted to renounce this Jesus as a fake and go back to the old ways. And so God's long-waited-for Messiah would need to be greater than Moses and Jesus is and was that Messiah. Later on in the book of Hebrews, we discover that Jesus is greater than Aaron, through whom the law was ministered. But here we see that Jesus is greater than Moses, the lawgiver, the servant of the house of God. Jesus as God was the creator of the house. He was the creator of Moses. And both Moses and Aaron represented God's house in Israel. Moses was the apostle or the prophet, and Aaron was the high priest. Jesus was an apostle, did you know that? says so, and he was a prophet, as well as being the high priest. So Jesus brought both Aaron's side and Moses' side together in one. And by apostle, I mean a messenger or a representative, because that's what an apostle is, someone who is a messenger or a representative. And as the apostle of our faith, Jesus was faithful. As an apostle, Jesus was God's representative for us, making God known to us. This Jesus was totally faithful. And it means he can be both trusting and also capable of being trusted. Moses was the one to whom the law was given, the Mosaic covenant under, under which the, the Jewish people lived. The covenant with Moses commenced with this stipulation from uh, the book of Exodus. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth for all the earth belongs to me. The covenant of this covenant was to Israel in order that those who believed God's promise in Abraham could know how to live rightly in accordance with how God wanted them to live. And here are the highlights of that covenant. There were the commandments They were given so that they might know how to relate socially to God. Then there are the judgments, which were given in order that they could relate socially to each other. And then finally we have the decrees, which dictated their religious life, so that God could be approached by humanity on God's own terms. And the covenant that God made with Moses and the ancient nation of Israel was never meant to be a means for providing salvation. It was given so that they could realize the helplessness and futility of their own efforts and their need of God's help for salvation. And it was to serve only as a protective fence until the promised Messiah came, the long-awaited-for saviour of all humanity, both Jew and Gentile, the whole world, could be made right with God through faith and faith alone. So in comes Jesus. And this is where he is. As the Messiah and the Saviour, Jesus ushered in a new covenant. And this was the covenant that was promised by God through the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So what are the features of Of this new covenant. And there are four main features. Firstly, there's regeneration. That God will write His law on the hearts of those who follow Him. Then there's restoration. I don't know anything about computers. God will be their God and they will be his people. And then thirdly, there was the promised Holy Spirit, where God would not be in the Ark of the Covenant only to be seen once a year by the high priest, but God would live in people's hearts, transforming them from within. Amazing that God can live within us. That's grace. And then finally, there was justification. And that means that sins will be forgiven and removed eternally. And this new covenant is sealed only through the perfect sacrifice of the God-man Jesus on the cross, which we celebrate at Easter. His blood ensures the truth of this new covenant. His death pays the penalty for the the sins of all people who say yes to God and are ready to run the race and travel the course. This new covenant finalizes what the Mosaic covenant could only point towards, that the follower of God living in a dynamic, intimate relationship with God, conforming to God's holy character. That is a very specific way in which Jesus is being superior to this Moses. And the original readers of this letter, being God-fearing Jews, would have been aware of it. They, of course, would also be aware that it is sin which separates uh, humans from God and as a consequence leads to both a spiritual and physical death. In the Old Testament, sins were dealt with in Blood sacrifices of atonement as a covering for sin, and that was to show that there's a, that sin has a great cost. For without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. And a blood sacrifice is God's way of dealing with sin. And these blood sacrifices of the Old Testament signified several things. They were a covering or a veneer for sin. It showed the great cost of sin. It was an exchange or a substitution. And it was always only ever going to be a temporary measure as it pointed forward to the death of a Messiah, indeed Jesus' death, and it needed to be done over and over again. So how is Jesus better than Moses? First of all, Jesus created Moses because he's God. He also created the house of which a lot of Jews attributed to Moses. But the answer also lies in that it is a solution to sin. Moses couldn't have done it. Only Jesus could. And the ultimate solution to sin lies not in the continual animal sacrifices that the Jews had under the covenant with Moses, because as the writer later in Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 4, stipulates, The blood of animals cannot take away sin, but was only ever going to be a veneer or a covering. And that was why it was necessary to repeat time and time again. That is why when we take communion, the bread and the wine are only symbols, because if they turned into the actual blood and body of Christ, then it would be another sacrifice, which goes over and over again. So what about this? And it's only through the victorious death of Jesus that sin is permanently taken away because Jesus is the permanent sacrificial substitution. It is as if the writer is saying, give up on Jesus, stop considering him, and you would still be dead in your sins. That's the way the original readers probably would have understood it. And as for us, what about us? And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are built together so that the Spirit of God may join us together in love. Both individually and as a group, we are the house of God. Jesus said, we will come and make our home in you. And he doesn't just sit in sit and sit and God the Holy Spirit doesn't just sit in your heart and go, Ah, oh, this is going to be a nice, easy life, isn't it? But he comes in to dwell and transform and to change. It's like changing rooms, but over a whole life. And we know Jesus has been faithful as a son over God's people, because we celebrate this faithfulness at Easter and at Communion when we acknowledge and rejoice in the sacrifice he made for us. As I said, we remember it in the act of communion, which we will have later. Jesus suffered persecution and rejection from his peers. We know that Jesus was godly and full of zeal for God and was willing to sacrifice everything for God and his people. We are the house of God. And yet, do we not sometimes reject Jesus ourselves? Or do we keep on considering? Do we give him the trust that his faithfulness to complete the good work he has started within us? The NIV translation of verse 1 has fixed your thoughts. Here is how the New King James Version puts verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. I personally think that's a better way of putting it, and not simply because it has the word partakers in it. See, I am, can be biblical. To consider has a much deeper meaning than simply fixing your thoughts, as the NIV puts it. To consider means to seek, to fully understand or comprehend as we are, well as being fixing thoughtfully. To consider means to, to contemplate, to think about, to persevere with, to concentrate on, to fix our eyes and thoughts upon. And we have to allow Jesus Christ to permeate every facet of our life. It's not so much what would Jesus do, It's also, what would Jesus not do? What would Jesus' thoughts be? What would Jesus' attitude be? He is to permeate our life because we are the house of God if we are to be partakers of him. And to consider not just how Jesus would do something, but think it, an attitude, and what would he not do just as the Hebrews receiving this letter were told to do in their race of the life to follow Jesus. We too are to hold fast to our courage, but only by considering Jesus and trusting in him and relying on the Holy Spirit who lives within us to help us as we ask him. And this phrase to consider is perhaps the central theme of the book of Hebrews. We are to consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus was faithful to the purposes of his coming, to be among people. His purpose in coming to earth as a mere man was to die for sins. And he needed to be die for our sins and be raised again on the third day as a sign of being victorious over both death and sin. This Jesus perfected our humanity. He perfected in, with a life of uh, simplicity, suffering, devotion and obedience. And he now lives at the right hand of the Father in heaven to communicate to us his life and blessedness through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we must therefore consider Jesus in everything we do, every thought we think, every attitude that we hold dear. That is the aim of the writer, to persuade these Hebrew Christians that if they knew this Jesus to be faithful, if they knew him to be faithful, then why would you want to renounce him? And Moses had died, hadn't he? Outside the promised land. They could perhaps see his tomb if they wanted to. But this Jesus... This Jesus, his tomb is empty. That's because this Jesus is alive. You can imagine the look on these Hebrew Christians' faces. Were we really going to give that up for a bit of persecution? And the life of these Hebrew Christians would be united with their faith and united with the life of Jesus from whom they're on whom this their faith would glorify God. To these Hebrew Christians, their salvation was to be based on Jesus. But to renounce Jesus and go back to following Moses was apostasy. Moses couldn't offer salvation because the law was not meant as a means to salvation. But what about you? Are you trusting in this Jesus for your salvation? Or are you even subconsciously relying on something else? And if you don't want to consider, look at these words up here. What think ye of Christ? That was what these believing Hebrews were to do. Consider how vastly superior this Jesus who is alive to this Moses who's dead in a tomb outside of the promised land. We also are to consider how superior this Jesus is to all other things that would try to entangle us and allure us away with false promises. So that's to consider. So, and we also need to keep persevering. Reading from verse 7. So the Holy Spirit says, quoting back from Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where the fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter My rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And now down to verse 15. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And then after considering Jesus, these Hebrew Christians were to actually do something. I wonder if that was a surprise to them. They were to persevere in believing. And the writer now warns these Hebrew believers against the sin of unbelief, which is the hardening of their hearts. And the writer, as I said, quotes from Psalm 95 and reminds them of the way that Israel, their ancestors, rebelled against God in the desert. He warns them not to be like their ancestors, their forefathers, who did not trust fully in the Lord their God. And from Psalm 95, he proceeds to remind them of what they did wrong, their deeds of unbelief. The privilege of the house of God is in hearing God's voice. By choosing not to listen to God's voice, yours and other people's hearts grow hard and cold. And these words are, of course, written to believing Christian Hebrews not unbelieving Jews or Gentiles, and are as appropriate for us today as it was for them when they received it. And we are the people of God today. We need to be ready to listen to God's voice. As we see God working in us, our trust and belief in him grows. And if we do not believe in him to help us, then of course our hearts will harden and grow cold against him and as we grow and we run the race, willingly sacrifices what needs to be sacrificed, we realize the the glory and the majesty of the God we choose to serve. His holiness, his perfection, his love, his justice, his tenderness, and gladly listen to what he says to us and willingly receive what he gives us. So when you pray, do you have your Bible open? and when you read your bible do you consider it prayerfully because bible reading and prayer go together that speaking to and fro unbelief stops a person from holding fellowship with god our god is alive he's not some dead rock on a shelf he's not invisible He's alive. And this church of Hebrew believers, for all their Christian profession and religious exercises, were in deep danger of falling away from God due to their not believing totally in him. God would not abandon them, but that they were likely to abandon him. And we need to take care in case we also fall into unbelief. Unbelief and falling away Act upon each other and react against each other. And if we have any unbelief in our hearts tonight, then let us ask God to give us a heart that believes in him so that we may not fall away from him. If you need God's help, ask him. He will help you. And what is one of the main ways we can stop from falling away or letting others fall away into unbelief? to keep encouraging. I'll read verse 12 to 14. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if we hold firmly to the end, the confidence we had at first. So we keep on considering Jesus, we persevere in our believing in him, and now thirdly, to show we are considering Jesus, and to show we are persevering in our believing in him, we are to both encourage others and be encouraged. In verse 12, we read, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This means that we are not only to take care of our own hearts, but as verse 13 goes on to say, we are to encourage and ensure that no one else is in danger of falling away. And we who are believers here have to make sure that each one of us is staying on the path that leads to life, that is the race towards Jesus this group of Hebrew Christians were to help and encourage each other. And so are we. For us, maybe it's by phoning someone you haven't seen for a while. Or maybe you get a random thought about a person and you call them up on your mobile just to see how they're going. It works. And if we see a brother or sister who we know is starting to fall out of the race, we need to do all we can to stop them from falling away. That's what the writer is saying. We need to encourage them to continue considering Jesus and persevere in believing in him. And we all know people who have started off as new believers, full of zeal, and we tell them to calm down. They're full of joy. And they end up falling away back into unbelief. They're unable to hold fast to the end. And to some degree, it's because the church body has failed them. It's failed to encourage them to continue on in the race. Remember, we're the house of God, both individually and corporately. It's our duty, John Stott calls it, our daily duty and responsibility to encourage people on in the race, on the journey. However, to encourage is not just these easy things. To encourage can also mean to rebuke or to correct in love, normally in private. I look back at my tutor during my uh, first uh, attempt at Bible college back in the mid-80s. My tutor's name was Ed. Ed the Head, we called him. I won't tell you why, because that would be rude. And I would come into tutorials covered in mud from wrestling with pigs. It's true. And he would give me a hard time. Would you? Can you believe that? Every week he would get me to read a chapter of Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And then just to make sure I was on the right path, he'd give me mere Christianity read to read as well. A chapter a week. And I would endeavour to do it, as a good boy that I am. And then during our next tutorial, I would have to try and explain to him what both authors were trying to get across. Sometimes I got it right, and I must tell you it was a bit of a hard slog. And sometimes I'll get a clip round the ear for being stubborn, or just lazy, or just being plain thick. But I tell you this, it gave me a good grounding for my for the way that I think and for the life of discipleship that I've had in the last 25, 30 years. Or I think back to my dear friend Rose, young Mies Meta from my church back home in Australia from the mid-80s. She was an elderly lady and she would have us young keen adults back to her house that overlooked the ocean after church on a Sunday evening. And she would always be loving, caring and encouraging to people. Ready to lift them when they were down and eager to cheer from the sidelines. But I tell you this, she was also a tough cookie. And if we got out of line, she would say so in no uncertain terms. Then it wouldn't be so much as an arm round the shoulder, but a good swift kick. And she would do it. Both methods of encouragement are required at times. So when we see somebody sinning or contemplating sinning, our reaction should be to gently encourage him or her not to continue in pursuit of that, but to come back into the race. Therefore, in considering Jesus, believe in him and encourage others to do the same. That is the purpose of encouragement Mentioned here. Let all of us give ourselves to the service of Jesus to watch out for other people. Let all the fresh grace and deeper knowledge of Jesus we see be for the service of those around us. If we see somebody who is struggling to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, have a word with them. Where will you and I be this time next year? Will we have grown in knowledge and the grace and truth and all that sort of stuff? Or will we have stayed stagnant and gone backwards? Where will we be in 10 years' time, 25 years' time? Will you be able to honestly say to yourself, I've grown spiritually and haven't fallen away? And lastly, you may be glad to know, If you're here tonight and you would call yourself a Christian and you are unsure where you are, then please do this. Look back and remember what Jesus has done for you. Consider him as you look back to your first profession of faith in him. Consider that just as he died, you died in the waters of baptism. Consider that just as he rose to physical life, you rose from the waters of baptism and you also will rise again when you physically die to a new body. I can't wait for my new body. And consider that just as Jesus will be glorified, so too will you be glorified before the Father if you hold out until the end. Be assured of who you are. You are a child of the living God. Hold out to the end. Persevere. He has a firm grip on you, so maintain your grip on Him. Remember who you are. The way to cope with the rigors of 21st century life is to keep considering, keep persevering, told you didn't to know anything about computers, and keep encouraging. Cope, a strategy for coping. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the author of, the physical author of this letter to the Hebrews. Thank you that even though it's 2,000 years later, we can still be encouraged by it and learn from it. Help each one of us to go out of here to continually consider Jesus to continue persevering in believing in him and also encourage ourselves and other people to persevere, to consider. And I pray that as we now come into communion, as we go out of here eventually, that your glory, your majesty, your honour would be our chief concern. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord, in the power of the Spirit. Amen.